Hey everybody, it is time once again for the ranking. I am back and I'm going to continue ranking all the games in my collection, two games at a time, driven by the Pub Meeple Ranking Engine, which is just such a fantastic tool. There's links for it down in the show notes if you ever decide you have a list of things that you want to rank. Pub Meeple has got you covered. It's it's a lot of fun to play with and I've certainly been enjoying the series so far. I should say until this morning, because as awesome as the Pub Meeple Ranking Engine is, I now have one complaint about it because I actually just finished recording episode 9. I don't know, I did 12 comparisons, something like that. And then I looked down and realized, ah, I wasn't recording, I was paused the entire time! Oh, it didn't record any of it, no! And um, the Pub Meeple Ranking Engine has an undo button. And so I uh, started undoing, I'm like, yes, oh good, I can undo, I can undo. And I went through about half of my undos, give or take, uh, and then I had to go do something. And um, when I came back, I refreshed the page, and I suddenly found that, oh, the undo doesn't work anymore, and it skipped back to after everything I'd ranked. So... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Folks, this is really kind of episode 10, um, or I guess this is episode 9. Episode 8.5 is lost for the ages because I don't quite understand how this undo button here works, but it doesn't work very consistently. Um, if I had any suggestions to the folks at the pub Meeple who have put this thing together... Um, you know what? Don't actually save my progress unless I actually hit the save button because at no point did I ever hit that and so I have lost an entire episode's worth. Now, don't worry. I'm going to keep doing this, folks. This is go- this show is just going to keep on barreling ahead and sooner or later, all the games will come back around. So, um, you know, when it goes to like its second pass, but oh my gosh. Oh. Anyway, anyway. That's neither here nor there. On the whole, I still think it's a fantastic tool. I just wish it wouldn't save. Or heck, maybe if they would just turn on down here a uh, disable autosave. Because apparently there's an autosave and it totally rickrolled me this morning. And that is unfortunate. I cannot undo. Because, I mean, there were some really interesting ones that went head to head. And now they are lost and I cannot give them to you again because I literally just cannot go back. That's my fault, ultimately, not Pub Meeple's, because, hey, I'm the one who accidentally paused my recording and then didn't unpause. But regardless, we're going to pick up, folks, um, at comparison number 165. And what have we got? We've got Yokohama versus Port Royal. Wonderful, uh, crunchy, really unique do you call Yokohama a worker placement game? Actually, it's more like a route building game where you're putting all of your employees out on the board in all these different regions trying to um, you know, create routes that your main meeple that represents you as the business leader can follow to get from one space to another and get around and try to pick up, you know, create change of moves that work really nice together. Absolutely phenomenal. Versus Port Royal from Alexander Pfister, a lovely, fast little playing filler, push your luck game set in uh, a Pirates of Caribbean style scenario. They're both lovely. They both do different things. But of these things that they do, I prefer the Yokohama kind of thing. So I am going to swipe left. Okay. And then, whoa. 
Uh, we are going to continue comparing things to Port Royal. Uh, how does Glory to Rome compare to Port Royal? Uh, Glory to Rome is, of course, one of the greatest modern designer card games of all time about rebuilding Rome after the Great Fire of some time or other. Uh, it is the poster child for multi-use cards. It does multi-use cards. It is so far ahead of the curve, even though it came out so long ago. And it's just so sad that it is so long out of print and seems like it will likely never get reprinted. Um, although, it turns out there's an excellent, an absolutely phenomenal online implementation of Glory to Rome. Actually, it's really one of the best ones I've ever seen. Uh, and Ruel Gaviol and I recently did a full playthrough because I taught him how to play the game and then we played through a full game of Glory to Rome. So if nothing else, you can play it that way. It even has a halfway decent bot system that isn't much of a challenge, but at least gives you lets you get a feel for what it's like to play the game. So... All that aside, folks, um, important thing, Port Royal versus Glory to Rome, of course, Rome demands glory, glory to Rome. Okay, then we've got Forenza versus Boon Lake. Boon Lake, another game from Alexander Fister, one of his more recent ones, uh, that kind of follows in his, the, this thing he does of, hey, there's a track that we are moving down. Uh, it's almost time track like, uh, and that you're you're trying to move down it quicker to get access to the better stuff, but then you're skipping over other other stuff. It doesn't work quite like traditional time tracks, but it's kind of similar. And then, uh, like any good big box Alexander Vishnu game, it's got a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. Um, you know, a big a big uh, a big Euro goods conversion, grabbing terrain, building engines, all that stuff. It's fantastic. Forenza is an older game. Um, is it from Alexander Stead, Andreas Stedding? No, I do not remember who it's by. Uh, but a really great design um, where we are trying to build, I guess, the towers of Forenza. And I absolutely love, it is one of the few games that have ever used the mechanism that should be so much more common where, uh, you know, most famously... You know, really, I most famously probably Small World did it, but more in more recent years, what is it? Uh, Century Spice Road got really good mileage out of this as well. There's a list of things that you can draft from. And um, the more things you skip over to get the thing you want, you have to pay to skip over stuff. And then um, that means the money you pay doesn't go to supply. It goes on the things you skipped over, thereby making the things you skipped over that much more valuable and more attractive for other people to take, even if they don't care about the thing themselves. They just want all the resources that you uh, that players have put on because eventually uh, it's it's absolutely brilliant and Forenza is one of the best examples of it ever in a very very nice fun and satisfying uh, Euro style game where we are building literally these little wooden towers higher and higher and higher um, you know trying to score the most points so these are both excellent Euros an older one and a newer one and I think that is interesting uh, I I think ultimately I like Boon Lake more, but Foren if you were to put both on the table in front of me right now, I'd probably want to play Forenza because it's quicker, uh, it's more to the bone, it doesn't have a lot of fat on it. You know, I mean, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I I, I love a, a, a nice uh, marbled ribeye steak with a whole bunch of meaty flavors, uh, all kinds of layers of stuff. That's what Boon Lake is. It's a big game. It's a robust game. It's got tons of stuff going on. Lots of levers to pull. Literally, it actually, the board, your board has little levers you can pull, which is nice. But Forenza is clean and smooth and elegant and to the metal. And, you know, and sometimes that's a better thing to go for. And if I... Man, if you if I had to own one, if I could only own one of these games, 
I think it'd be Forenza. I'm going to go Forenza. Okay. Then it's Boon Lake versus Paris New Eden. All righty. This is interesting. I don't think uh, in any of the previous rankings we've had so many of these. Hey, let's just um, you know check the same thing over and over again. Uh, it actually happened to me in my lost section as well. Anyway, though, uh, Paris New Eden is a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's it's hot, hot, hot these days. But when Paris New Eden came out, it wasn't quite that big a deal. Entwined drafting, where there are a collection of things that are put into bundles. And whenever you're on your turn, when you're going to grab stuff, you don't just grab one thing, you grab a bundle of things. Although in this case, it's it's not grabbing a bundle, it's uh, worker placement, dice worker placement, where we're uh, sending dice out to... Um, wait, oh, is it dice worker placement or grabbing those dice? Regardless, it's entwined bundles uh, via dice worker placement to in a... Uh, post-apocalyptic rebuilding uh, a better green future society type thing we are trying to create the new Eden and I thought it was really good I actually liked it quite a bit here's my problem with it and why I'm going to give it a love to Boone Lake Boone Lake leans into its theme Paris New Eden has a really great theme and wonderful presentation and it completely ignores its theme it goes out of its way to try to make the game feel very abstract and it shouldn't have so that's kind of just like a uh, a small black eye instead of a feather ant's cap. So I'm going to go with Boone Lake. Okay, then we've got Paris New Eden versus Federation. Oh my gosh. All right, well, Federation is... Uh, oh, what do you call it? Um, it's, a, it's a science fiction worker placement game where the worker, the, the board is literally the Galactic Federation. You can think kind of like you know a Star Trek future where all the different planets, all the different alien species have come together for a uh, you know an intergalactic federation of planets where they you know hammer out their differences and solve problems and help each other. And I love that. Of course, I love Star Trek. I love an optimistic view of the future. And uh, players in this game play new uh, young upstart planets trying to work their way into the Federation. Although we aren't on the Federation Council yet, we can influence planets that are and we do that via worker placement sending our ambassadors to talk to you know the different i guess intergalactic senators of on the main board and the thing is everyone uh every time you send one of your ambassadors out who have different relative strengths to it you've got strong ambassadors and weak ambassadors you're trying to figure out who to send where you are doing you're engaging actions but you're also in voting on effectively voting on new laws that will potentially change the state of the galaxy so um it's a really really cool game where you're making choices of, well, okay, I really need to make this law pass, but there's none of those particular, um, you know, planets I need to interact with in that column. So it's kind of like another entwined element, entwined worker placement, if anything else, and I think it's fantastic and very, very thematic. And I'm going to give it to Federation. Sorry, Paris New Eden. Okay, let's move on to some new stuff. Viticulture versus This War of Mine, the board game. Now, here's the deal. If it weren't for the expansions... It would be This War of Mine in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, just the base game, This War of Mine, which is a cooperative, narrative, campaign-driven adventure game set in the real modern world in an unspecified country uh, that is basically caught in the middle of... I don't think they ever go into the fact... Uh, specifically, if it's a civil war tearing or if it's a war of invasion or whatever. But none of that matters because we are not the generals or the soldiers. We're just people trying to survive in a war zone. It's actually based on a very popular video game. And um, it's amazing to me how uh, you know this game is harrowing and uplifting and heartbreaking. Uh, anytime you sit down and play this game, you will go through such a roller coaster of emotions as you try to survive. Um, and uh, it really gives you 
an appreciation for the stories that we don't hear about. When um, you know the nightly news talks about the latest movements on the front of you know whatever uh, you know particular conflict you want to pick in the world. Obviously, there's one that's you know first and foremost. Actually, there's any given time. There's a bunch of them, and really, people only ever talk about the politicians and the uh, the you know the the impact in in terms of troop deployments and all of that. When in fact, it's really the people on the ground who suffer and their stories get forgotten. And this war of mine tells those stories. It tells very human stories and very important stories. It is, I would say, uh, a genuine work of art in board game form that is literally important. Meanwhile, on the other hand, we've got Viticulture, which is a very fun worker placement game about um, growing grapes and squishing them to make wine and scoring points. And uh, the base Viticulture is nice. I like it, but for me, the uh, card powers are way too swingy. Um, And it's not until you add the, um, what do you call it? The Viticulture World expansion that came out, I think it was last year, that turned it into a fully cooperative game and did it in such a brilliant way that so elevated Viticulture. So, this is an easy one. If you take expansions out, it's this war of mine. If you leave expansions in, and I ask myself, what would I rather play at any given time? Probably Viticulture World, because Viticulture World doesn't literally put you through an emotional ringer. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about, hey, if I could only own, if I could only own one of these two, maybe that's a better way to rank these. If I had to get rid of one and I could only keep the other, I, there's no choice about it. I would totally keep this war of mine because, again, what I said earlier, I think it is an important and meaningful work of art that pushes board games forward as an art form. And I feel like a more well-rounded and knowledgeable person who has a better understanding of the world we live in, having walked a mile in the shoes of people who we tend to forget, uh, you know, in our day-to-day lives. So I'll, I'm going to give it to this war of mine. Okay, then we've got Dog Lover versus Tapestry. Okay, a uh, Tapestry, one of my favorite civilization-style uh, building games of all time, in part because it's. So smooth and clean and elegant. And civilization games don't tend to be clean and smooth and elegant. They tend to be big and long. And don't get me wrong, Tapestry can be a fairly long game, but it can play fast too if you're if you're really if you got players who are really decisive. But um, these uh, style of games, you know, typified by civilization or through the ages, tend to be really complex, really deep, um, meaty simulations of the growth of a civilization with lots of things to keep track of. Tapestry is incredibly smooth and elegant. Tapestry, you could almost use as a gateway game because you only have to teach a player just a few simple rules to get up and going and then it reveals itself more over time. Plus, the tapestry cards that it's named after provide so much flexibility and variety. Every time you play, it's going to evolve in interesting ways. So I love Tapestry, especially with all the expansion content that has just made it better and better and better. Meanwhile, Dog Lover is a uh, a it's another entwined drafting game. Now that I think about it, because you've got a grid full of cards, and at the beginning of the game, you're doing really simply on your turn, you pick a row or a column of all those cards, you take all of them, and then refill, and you're trying to get the right combination of cards because these cards are all about stray dogs that needs homes, toys for those dogs, 
uh, training for those dogs, traits for for the dogs, all kinds of stuff, food for the dogs. Because as you take on more of these dogs, it's your responsibility to take care of them. And the better you do, the more points you get. There's set collection elements, all kinds of things. Um, but one of the most interesting things about it is it starts out where it's really simple. On your turn, in this grid of cards, I'm just going to pick a row or a column. But the more you train your dogs, that gives you different ways that you can draft. You could go for L-shaped sections or X's or just everything in the corners or whatever it might be. So it really evolves interesting different ways too. And it's just wonderful. It's got sweet, charming, uh, cute cartoon pictures of dogs and dog accoutrement. And so they're both lovely. And I know I rate Tapestry higher than Dog Lover. I totally do. I think it's the better game because it's so big and so rich and so meaty uh, and deep and yet so simple. And I so respect that. But if you're going to ask me, hey, which of these two games can I, if I could only own one, of course, I'm going to want to own Dog Lover. I mean, how could I? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Dog Lover because uh, I think both games do what they set out to do equally well. Okay, then Tapestry goes up against And Then We Held Hands, which is a wonderful little very abstract. One of the few abstract games we own. But it does have a theme. And actually, I, I, I think most people consider it abstract. I don't really feel that way. It is a cooperative game where we are two members of a relationship. Um, and we are trying to see the world through each other's eyes so that we can keep the relationship alive and not break up. It's not the only game that does this. And uh, you know, normally these kind of games, uh, like Fog of Love or whatever, do it in much more thematic terms and all that. Whereas this is, it's really a game represented by a, a, a lovely little board where we are moving glass um, tokens uh, around kind of this maze, trying to get both your token and my token into the center. And that doesn't represent us as physical people in the world moving through a maze, but it kind of represents our understanding and respect and love for each other. And to win, we both have to move our pieces into the center simultaneously. Um, and the tricky thing is, every time I do something in this game, I change the world and change what options are available for you to do on your turn. And if I approach this game in a fundamentally selfish way where all I'm thinking about is, right, I know I need to get to the center. I need to get to the center because I need to understand you. How do I do that? By getting to the center, by hook or by crook, whatever it takes. And if I just make moves that do that for me, but I don't take into account what you need, because again, as I change the cards by, by making my choices, it changes what you can do as well. And I might box you into a corner because I wasn't thinking about how if I remove that thing, you're stuck. And so... That's the underlying theme of this game, and it's beautiful. And so while on the... I mean, anybody would look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's just an abstract game about moving uh, glass baubles around on a board. To me, it really captures the underlying theme of trying to see the world from somebody else's perspective. And I, that way, I think it's beautiful. That said, if I could only own one, I'm going to own Tapestry because, again, that is kind of more my thing. And um, I, 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 I love building stuff over a long period. I mean, Then We Held Hands is basically a fun little two-player a cooperative filler that has a beauty to it and a simple simplicity and an elegance to it as well. But yeah, I got to go with Tapestry. Okay, then we've got A Feast for Odin and Galaxy Trucker. Okay, Galaxy Trucker 
is certainly not the first real-time board game, um, but it was maybe the first... You know, I mean, obviously, real-time board games have been around forever in party form, but in the kind of style of game that Jen and I like to play, crunchy, medium-weight Euros that uh, you know put you through your paces and make you, you know, compromise and balance lots of different things uh, all the time, those are generally not in real time. And Galaxy Trucker was not the first to do it. I mean, heck, the publisher CGE did one earlier, a space alert. But Galaxy Trucker, I think, is the first one that gained wide acceptance and opened the doors for other games to be able to come along later and do the same thing. And I didn't say, what is it? What is it? It is a real-time tile-laying game where we are trying to build space trucks, because we're Galaxy Truckers. And so, we've got a big old face-down pile of tiles, and once the timer starts, we're just uh, grabbing them one at a time, looking at them, and deciding whether to add them to our own little grid that is our space trucker building, or putting them back face up so that everybody else can see what they're doing and having wasted time. Although we can always take them and sock them away because, um, you know, as in standard you know tile laying, hey, once the tile is down, you have to expand from that. There's all kinds of uh, specifics about how you build, and it's a sharp, sharp, fun game. And then the important thing is, after time is up and we've uh, you know made our space trucks, we then have the second half of the game. Which is, I don't think it's fair to call it second half of the game. It's a very long extended scoring where we actually go out and drive our space trucks around and uh, try to pick stuff up at planets and deal with space raiders or asteroid fields or uh, very sundry events, um, which we could have had some advanced knowledge of if during the real-time game we took time to actually look at what some of the events were that were coming so we could try to build with those in mind. But anyway, it's all it's an extended scoring thing where we see, well, who built the space truck? Whose truck survived um, and made it back home with the, with the most uh, space cargo? It's great. It's fun. It recently got a uh, reprint that kind of simplified and streamlined some stuff, put it in a smaller box with smaller tiles. I kind of appreciate all that, but actually I was kind of disappointed as well because um, they also made some core change, a couple of little core changes to the rules. Um, one very specific one, which is in the original game, you could only lose so many points in that scoring. And once you hit a certain threshold, okay, the game isn't going to keep pummeling you over and over and over again. And now with the new version, it does. And I don't understand why they changed that. It really can kind of leave more of a sour taste in your mouth. So I guess I should base it on the new rules, shouldn't I? Because I mean, I don't think you can go back and get the original one anymore. So anyway, all of that is compared to Feast for Odin, which many, many people consider to be Uwe Rosenberg's greatest design ever. A big, crunchy, worker placement Euro, uh, Viking simulation that, um, you know, is as much worker placement as it is tiling because... Uh, you know, a, a lot of the stuff you get by harvesting goods or going on raids and and and, and stealing stuff, Viking style, uh, comes in the form of polyomino tiles that or Tetris tiles that you're trying to lay down into your your big massive board, and that is very very satisfying. Now, I always had a problem with the feast for Odin as well, in that. Uh, its base game included a randomized card draw that I thought was too luck swingy, but they fixed it with the Norwegians expansion, which I have. So here's the deal. Feast for Odin without that expansion? Honestly, I didn't keep it. I got rid of Feast for Odin. But then when the Norwegian expansion came out and I saw what they did, like I got Feast for Odin again and was so it so hugely improved the game. So with the expansion, I'm going to say Feast for Odin. Without. And if you were playing by the original rules of Galaxy Trucker, I'd go with Galaxy Trucker. But for now, it's going to be Feast for Odin. Okay, then turn and taxis versus Galaxy Trucker. Hmm. 
Okay, so Turn and Taxis is a much older game. Um, if I recall correctly, it's from the designer of Puerto Rico, but it's a much lighter game. Closer to a Ticket to Ride style game. And in fact, I think back in the day, a lot of people said, well, hey, I, I really, really like Ticket to Ride. What should we get next? And people would say, Turn and Taxis, because it takes it. It's a, it's a game about... Um, Route exploitation, because we're developing um, the, uh, I don't know, the era of industrialization postal system in Germany. And it is all about getting post boxes all over the board and trying to create strings of them um, so that you can score points. And it's it's very, very different. It's it's not a rummy-style game quite like uh, Ticket to Ride is. Although, again, there are definitely overlaps, but it's its own thing. And it's just really sharp. And I have to admit, I've always had kind of a soft spot for it, because still... One of the best jobs I ever had in my life was being a mailman um, in the 90s in Seattle when I was also a uh, student at the University of Washington. And I loved it. And uh, so I, I have a nostalgic fondness for all, thi- all any game that has anything to do with postal service. Never mind the fact that postal service is such an important element of a developing society to as a means of communication. And here's the deal. Again, judging Galaxy Trucker on its new version where it will pummel you mercilessly and show you no mercy, I'm going to give it to Turn and Taxis. If it weren't for that new twist to the rules, I'd probably go with a Galaxy Trucker. Okay, then we've got Alexander Fister is back. This is definitely a Fister uh, heavy episode, and he is going up against Reiner Knizia, uh, the godfather of design, or the doctor of design, rather. Who's the godfather of design? It could be Knizia as well. But anyway... Cloud Age is a another midweight um, Fister game set in a post-apocalypse future where kind of a Mad Max wasteland where there are cities uh, you know that are just trying to survive and we play people who are riding around in dirigibles going from city to city trying to help the people uh, deal with you know marauders and such while also um, trying to bring green life back to the planet and revitalize the planet. And uh, I, one of the things I love, there's two things I really love about Cloud Age. One is that it does that Alexander Fister thing that he does in some of his games, where if you want to play multiple sessions over time, you know, successively, there's like, I forget, like a five or six uh, story campaign that you can play through. And I always love when Fister does that. I wish more games would do it. But, um, you know, I, I realize not everybody does that. The other thing that's really cool about this game is as you're moving around trying to decide where am I going to go, what cities am I going to visit, Remember, you're on a Zeppelin, so you're way up above the clouds. And so there are cards that are out on display that tell you what you could find in a given city, but they are in these sleeves that are adorned with clouds. So as part of setup, when one of these city cards says, oh, this city has a lot of water but not much power, or whatever whatever combination, ratio of stuff that might be there, um, you slip it in the slide, and then everybody looks at it, and you're like, well, that city might have a lot of water, but I can't quite tell because... We're up above the clouds, and there's all these clouds in the way. And it's not until you actually decide to land that you find out what you're going to get. And the, and it's a really, it's it's a fun little gimmick that just works nicely and really shapes gameplay, especially because everybody cares about if you're going to land, because everybody has the opportunity to piggyback off of what you're doing if they think it's in their best interest. So it's a neat, neat game. Um, let's see. And then let's talk about what's up against Witchstone, again, from Reiner Knizia. I, I do not remember the name, but he had a co-designer on this, which is really interesting. Reiner Knizia pretty much almost never does co-designs. And based on how amazing Witchstone is, I think he should do more. It is a game about, um, oh, what do you call it? We are uh, making up a witch's brew. 
Um, actually, hold hold on a second. Here it is. I just wanted to give credit. Uh, Martino Chiacherera, who actually has got kind of a pretty good resume of his own working without Reiner Canizia. The Deckscape games, which I still think are probably um, the best escape room board game. Uh, you know, and there's other uh, Mythian, Acheron, uh, Barbarians. The Invasion was actually very good, too. So anyway, though. Um, so I just, I just want to give credit where credit is due. We got a good job, Martino, uh, and Dr. Canizia. It's at its heart, like I said, we are witches trying to, um, you know, boil a cauldron full of ingredients to make witches brews that give us access to a bunch of different actions we can do out on the main board. One of the main things is there's kind of like a network area control thing we're trying to do, get our witches on the different routes and stuff like that. And it's a very nice, wonderful combo game with lots of, you know, uh, a, you know, public objectives that we're chasing after and all of that. But really, uh, it, the core of the game is your own little private board where you're placing these little hexagonal poly, uh, poly, uh, domino tiles, he- hexagon domino tiles. And, um, you know, either trying to, to hit a bunch of, cover a bunch of different spots or try to build up matching sets and whatnot. And it's just really good. So these are both freaking excellent games. And now that I have to pick one, I should have thought about this a little bit more, but I just wanted to make sure. Ooh. Ooh. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Cloud Age again because I will always take a game, that uh, a, a wonderful crunchy Euro that pushes narrative, that gives me a reason to want to play over multiple sessions because I love that so much. These little like, kind of mini narrative campaigns. So I'm going to give it to Cloud Age. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. But then Witchstone isn't done yet. It's going to throw down with Stefan Feld and Forum Trajanum, which is one of Feld's best games. I think it's certainly in my top 10 Felds. I don't remember if it's in my top five. It's probably in my top six. And it is another game, actually, that has a sizable portion of it being uh, tiling as we are trying to get these uh, tiles put into the common forum on the main board to, you know, manipulate the Roman Senate and all that, Senate and all that. But that's beside the point. The core heart of the game happens on your own board again. Actually, it's interesting. Both of these games have this central board where we're vying for control driven by our own private boards, which are really rich and puzzly. Both of these games, the interesting thing is you could throw away the central board, throw away two-thirds of the actual gameplay, and you would still have a rich, meaningful game just based on the puzzle in front of you. And the way Forum Trajanum's puzzle works is uh, you've got this grid... You're you're running a colony, a Roman colony, out somewhere in Germania or something like that, and every round there are cards drawn that say what... I mean, it's basically your board is a grid of of, uh, potential buildings you could build. And um, you know, on, on the rows and columns, you know, there, you know, every building is at kind of like an intersection of what you can build. And these cards you draw tell you, right, what buildings do you have access to? Uh, you know, or you know, what what powers do you have access to on your board? And um, you know, at the beginning of that, you know, and so 
you, you've got this wide open thing and you're trying to get buildings built next to each other. Uh, you, you're trying to build with a whole bunch of different considerations on your own personal board, but you're restricted every round by the card that gets drawn, which bingo style affects everybody. Oh, if it's the, the I forget, the bathers or the, the one of them's like a dude on horseback or whatever. But again, they're just icons that represent, oh, that's the column you can work with this round. Oh, that's... I don't want to work with that one right now. Okay, but I could set myself up for later. And so, uh, again, they're they're both really, really cool on their own. And now I have to pick one. And I can't stall anymore. Oi. That's a good one. Man, this... And, you know, this is a really good side-by-side because they both... They're very, very different, but they still kind of feel the same. If I could only own one... Oh my gosh. I, I hate to do it, fellow Feld fans. I'm going to give it to Witchstone. Um, and then uh, Forum Trajan wants to stick around and throw down with Praetor, which is a very, very cool worker placement game. Wow, okay, so it's ancient era Roman Euro game showdown. All right, just finished Forum Trajan. What is Praetor? Praetor is, again, doing all the same kind of stuff. You know, dealing with, I mean, the things we've seen, I mean, heck, earlier in this area, so we had Glory to Rome as well. We're always dealing with the same kind of Roman society type things. It's a question of how you do it. And the interesting thing about Praetor is it's a worker placement game. And the interesting thing about its worker placement is your workers age over the course of the game. And that's a really important thing. The more you use them, uh, the more powerful they get. But, uh, you know, because they're aging and getting um, more life experience experience and all of that. But here's an interesting thing that not everybody knows. Apparently, the ancient Roman Empire is the first in human history that offered pension plans uh, that people could retire, that workers could retire. I don't remember. It's been so long since I played the game. I don't remember the specifics of it. I think the game talked a bit about this in its rule book. But I always thought that was so cool. And uh, they bring this into the gameplay because uh, you're, as your workers get older and older, you want them, you, you want to retire them because there can be big bonuses for that. But then that means you're bringing in you know, young bucks who don't have the life experience with them anymore. And that's just freaking cool. So, with that in mind, also I should say, on the whole, I think Praetor is a lighter game. It's a bit more straightforward. So, of the two uh, in this Rome-off, I'm going to go with Foreign Trajan because it is a heavier game. It is a more puzzly game. It's got a lot more going on than Praetor. Okay, then, CV versus Dinosaur Island Rarenright. Now, CV is a Yahtzee-style life simulation where we're rolling and re-rolling and re-rolling dice that create... um, what do you call it? Uh, different elements of your life that you need. Different resources that you need to be able to draft and play cards that represent milestones in a life well lived. And this is one of those games where you're going to play from, as part of setup, you get childhood cards that give you certain setups. You know, what kind of childhood do you have? What what did you love as a child? Well, that sets you up for adulthood. And you're going to play all the way through um, young adult, middle age, into old age and retirement and all of that. And it's just really sharp. It's actually the first modern game of life. And there's been several I've played since. And it's still one of the best. I've kept it all these years. Even though I don't think it's, it is the best. That's going to be Pursuit of Happiness. But CV is still great. Um, you know, and again, all driven by the Yahtzee dice. Oh, come on, re-roll some of them kind of thing. Dinosaur Island Raw and Right is a roll and write, as you might imagine, that is a simplification and streamlining down of Dinosaur Island, which was a popular Jurassic Park style worker placement game. And here's the deal. I've played Dinosaur Island. 
I didn't keep it. I played Dinosaur Island Raw and Write, and I did. I think it's actually better than its predecessor, and it is probably one of the heaviest, crunchiest roll and writes there is on the market today. Uh, because uh, it's uh, the, you don't just roll and then pick some dice. Uh, there's like four stages, I think. You roll and the, the dice, you end up grabbing, you draft the dice, they give you resources, but then later on in a given round, you use those dice as workers to trigger different actions. And meanwhile, it all leads to trying to design your perfect Jurassic Park style uh, park by drawing out the pens and which dinosaurs go in them and stuff like that and, you know, focusing on security and making sure your guests don't get eaten and stuff. So these are both great games. If I could only own one, though, since I have Pursuit of Happiness, which is... and I mean, I'm keeping both of these. Don't get me wrong, because I love A Life Well Lived. It's maybe my favorite... Uh, t- my, my absolute favorite thematic setting in all board gaming. A game that g- uh, gives you interesting and engaging human stories of lives well lived. Uh, so I'm not getting rid of CV because it's a nice alternative to some of the other games I have that do this. But at the end of the day, Dinosaur Island Raw and Write is one of the best roll and writes. In the top 10 best roll and writes of all time as far as I'm concerned. So we're going to go Dino. Okay. Then we get to Role Player and Forbidden Desert, two of my highest ranked games ever. One a co op, one a competitive, one pandemic inspired, one dice uh, drafting, and they're both phenomenal games. And folks, I'm going to do what I always do with the ranking, and I'm going to end with a cliffhanger. You tell me in the comments, what do you think? Is it Role Player or Forbidden Desert? I bet you I think I know which way most of the audience will go. I will have to think about this a little bit if I'm doing this from the I could only own one of these two games. So anyway, folks, uh, we're going to stop right there. We're going to hit the save button. Um, and uh, I, I, mean, I feel like I don't even have to because I don't understand how the autosave works. And I lost all that progress, but here we are. 525. We are updating. And um, right. And that put us where? If we come back over here, we are at 9%. Now, in part, that's because I just did two episodes um, and only one of them I bothered to record. But we are slowly making our way through, folks. And all the games that I, you unfortunately skipped, don't worry, we'll catch them in a future episode. But for now, that is it. Another ranking uh, in the uh, bag, right? Is things going in the bag? I don't know. But if you enjoyed that, do you see the big button on screen that would let you go to all of the other previous rankings? They're there in chronological order from where I started right up to right now. So go ahead and click that if you would like to hear a little bit more more ranking. It's right there for you, folks. Well, you can also subscribe while you're at it, too. So do it. Do it!